Hello and welcome to the Audio Epics podcast and the fourth episode of The Beast of the Western Wilds, A Witch Hunter Tale. Now, last week we had a little recap at the beginning of the episode, but we're going to eschew that from now on because we've had some feedback from people and um, we, in the end we agree it's, it's a bit too long and uh, feels a little bit too patronizing to the audience to um, have a have a recap at the beginning of each episode you know on the story so far we value our listeners feedback we're very happy that you give us feedback so um, we'll take it into account and from now on you know if you want to remember everything that happened so far well you can always listen to the previous chapters again because um, you know they're all online for free so anyway um, before we do start the story, um, there is one little bit of news that I want to share with you, and that is the fact that Peter van Riet's music score for Witch Hunter, the original Witch Hunter dramatized audiobook, is now available on Spotify. So if you use Spotify, be sure to check it out. Look for Audio Epics Witch Hunter, and you will find his amazing music there. Peter's theme for The Beast of the Western Wilds, which you hear at the end of each episode, is on Spotify as well. Oh, and by the way, we've got two chapters today. The first one is called Into the Western Wilds, and the second one is called The Black Woods. So, here we go. Into the Western Wilds The soft pink glow of early dawn was just beginning to rise above the treetops when everything was made ready for the hunt. Ludlov would be riding with Captain Elsenbach into the western wilds, following the trail to the beast, and hopefully to its smaller counterpart and the kidnapped infant. Adolfons was to stay behind and guard Heidi Winkler and the widow Elsenbach while Conrad was sent out to look for a priest to bless poor Rudolf. The very thought of the young man's fate made Lulov's stomach twist with guilt and grief, but he suppressed all such thoughts. There would be a time to investigate his responsibility for Rudolf's death. There would be a time to confess. But first, there was a task to complete. He focused all his thoughts on the innocent baby who was somewhere out there in the wilds. The boy might still be alive. Clearly, the creature that took him had no intention of just killing Frederick, or it would have done so. Of course, the child might still be murdered for the sake of some evil ritual. Time was of the essence. Ludlov was seated on his horse, waiting by the edge of the forest, when Captain Elsenbach approached on the same horse Paul Rudolf had ridden into Schnatwald. It was somewhat unnerving to see the same chestnut gelding now carrying the heavy frame of the captain, rather than Rudolf's light weight. The captain halted his horse next to Ludlov and gave him a weary look. Well, what now? Ludlov raised his hand and took off his glove, revealing a golden ring with a ruby set in it. He brought the gem close to his lips and then whispered one word. Fulcrin. 
The captain glowered at him skeptically. What did you just do? I called for a friend. You'll see, Captain. <sighs> captain Elzenbach sighed irritably, but decided not to argue with the witch hunter. So in the meantime, we stay here and wait for him to arrive? Ludlow shook his head. The beast's trail is clearly visible. We should follow it. Fulcrin will find us. Come. With that, the witch hunter spurred on his horse and rode into the western wilds, the bewildered Captain Elsenbach following closely behind. The shy, early brightness of morning was quickly lost to them as they entered the woods. The path ran in twists and turns through the thick growth of shrubs and trees. It was just wide enough for the two horses to ride side by side. The village was soon out of earshot, and the sound of the forest took over. Besides their unusual density, Ludlow could see nothing particularly disturbing about these woods. But still, he occasionally caught himself warily shooting glances in the direction of snapping twigs or rustling leaves. He did feel uneasy, but refused to show it to the doer man beside him. There was very little conversation between them, until Ludlow suddenly halted his horse, prompting the captain to do the same. What is it, witch hunter? So the man hadn't heard. Instead of responding, Ludlow simply lifted his arm and extended it. A moment later, a large and beautiful predatory bird landed on his glove. Meet Fulcrin, Captain. Captain Elzenbach nodded in mock approval. So you have a tamed hawk? Falcon, actually. I don't care if it's a city pigeon, witch hunter. What good will it do us? Ludlow understood why Captain Elzenbach's mood was currently far from pleasant, but the man's hostile attitude was starting to annoy him. Falcon will be searching ahead. The captain held his mouth for a moment, as Ludlow took a tiny flask from his breast pocket. He opened it and lifted it to Falcon's eye allowing the falcon to clearly see its contents. Now, go, find this fiend. Then, raising his arm, he sent the small predator off into the deeper forest. The sound of the bird's wings had not yet died out when the captain cocked his head and asked, What was in the flask? I took a tuft of hair from the pelt of the creature Adolphons killed. I noticed its unusual color and structure when Dr. Schmetterling showed it to me. Surely, Fulcrin will be able to recognize it quite easily. It's truly remarkable what he can do. They rode on in silence for a bit, before the captain spoke up again. So the bird is looking for the small one, the one that took my grandson, while you and I are following the trail of the larger beast. That is correct. And we will be alerted if he finds anything. I hope so. As they passed a bend in the road, they entered a new part of the woods. The path turned steeply downhill, and the tree branches on either side leaned over them, obscuring the sky from their view entirely. It was also quieter here, and the ground was much softer 
making the prints of the beast deeper and more clearly visible. A thick carpet of moss became visible between the trunks, and there hung a subtle, earthy, humid smell in the air. As they continued on their way, the road became narrower, so that they were eventually forced to ride in single file. Ludlov didn't like this very much, as it made them an easier target for any kind of ambush, but they had no choice. He decided to ride in front. I know you must be very angry with me, Captain. There came no response. He continued. I know I am responsible for Rudolf's tragic death. I am truly sorry for that. Rudolf had a good heart. But he was no soldier. Ludlov had no idea whether the captain had accepted his apology or not, but he was satisfied with the reply he had got. He didn't mind if the captain had a low opinion of him, but he couldn't let some simmering, unresolved rage jeopardize their venture. Do you have any idea how deep these woods are, witch hunter? Well, that depends on which direction we're taking. We are currently going southward, which means that if we keep riding straight on, we will be near the ruins of Urba Classica by the time we get out. That's some 700 miles, I think. Why do you ask? I was just wondering. Well, these creatures can't have come from too far, since the replacement arrived very quickly after Adolfons had killed the first one. On the one hand, that was probably a frightening thought, but on the other, it meant that Frederick had to be within reach as well. I think, Witch Hunter, that we may have to continue on foot. Ludlov halted, then turned his horse to face the captain. You surprise me, captain, but I think you're right. The deeper into the woods we go, the darker it will get, and our horses may get hurt. Elzenbach nodded. And it will get more difficult to follow the trail. We don't know how much narrower the path might get, or if the beast trail might suddenly turn away from it. And on horseback, we'll draw more attention to ourselves. All true. But what do you suggest? We'll lose too much time if we ride back. No, that would be more than stupid. We'll just have to let them go. There's no other way. I hope they safely find their way back to Schnurtwald. But I care more about my grandson than about these animals. Naturally. Well then, so be it. We will set them loose. They dismounted and led their horses a few yards back in the direction they had come from. Ludlov took off his tall, wide-brimmed hat and emptied the burlap bag of oats he had kept on the saddle into it. He allowed both horses to eat from the hat until it was empty. Then he tucked the empty bag underneath his belt. Finally, he whispered some parting words into his steed's ear and then smacked the animals behind, sending it off. Captain Alzenbach did the same. Once the galloping horses were out of earshot, the two men exchanged glances. They were truly alone in the woods now. Traveling on foot, the trail was easier to follow. It continued along the same path, which became soggier as they continued, always winding left and right always leading downward. And as they went, 
the woods became darker and the light of the sun slowly diminished. After several hours of walking in single file, with Ludlov in front, Captain Elsenbach finally broke the silence. What time is it? It's past noon, Captain. How could you tell with the sun obscured from our view by these trees? Ludlov turned towards his companion. I go by the rumbling of my stomach. Well, that's why I asked. Perhaps it's time to break out our provisions then. Between the roots of a large tree, they found a spot to sit down for a bite of bread and some water from their leather canteens. Your bird hasn't returned. Do not fear, Captain. Fulcrin always finds his way back. He's never failed to do so. Ludlove carefully avoided mentioning that there was a magical component to the falcon's abilities. Magic was a very touchy subject wherever the Thotic languages were spoken. But he hasn't returned, meaning he hasn't found that thing, and my grandson is still lost. Ludlove took a deep breath. He didn't know what to say, and couldn't imagine the fear and uncertainty that this man was facing. It's a huge forest, and the creature that stole Frederick is small, fast, and nimble, and judging by Mistress Winkler's story, very intelligent. Elsenbach took a bite of bread and didn't respond. If Fulcrin did find the boy, it would be a miracle, Ludlow thought to himself. He quietly prayed to the goddess that the trail they were following was leading them to the right place. Captain? Captain Elsenbach, who had been hanging his head, lost in dark thoughts, looked up. Have you ever heard of the name The Black Woods? <laughs> That's Heidi talk. I also heard a woman from a farm talk about it on the way here. What does it refer to exactly? If you must know, according to the superstitious lot of Schnurtwald, there is a deeper part of the woods, not far from here, where everything is, well, black. Ludlov raised an eyebrow. Well, it's peculiarly dark there. All the things that come from there, they say. Well... This is actually very important information. But it's poppycock. Why do you say that, Captain? You have seen these creatures for yourself. I can assure you, they are not of the natural order. The Captain raised his eyes to the heavens and shook his head. Everything is of the natural order, Witch Hunter. You may not understand these animals, but they are just animals in the end. This turn in the conversation surprised Ludlov. He had heard such talk before but only from philosophers and nobility, never from an ordinary man, especially not one living far away from the city. He didn't want to get bogged down in a metaphysical argument, but he was curious. What makes you say these things? Experience. I see it all the time in the village. Whenever something bad happens that they can't explain, they say it's the fault of demons or goblins. Like when little Greta died, the daughter of the innkeeper, she was just ill in the lungs, but for some reason people feel better when they say it was the demons from the Black Woods that killed her. They think it's comforting when they know what caused it. So they imagine some explanation to put their fears to rest. Ludlov did recognize what he was talking about. There was a lot of superstition in the world. But the captain's answer raised more questions for him. So it was just a natural disease that killed little Greta. 
Captain Alzenbach nodded. Nothing more to it, witch hunter. How do you know that? Are you a doctor? No, but Dr. Schmetterling agreed with me. While Heidi was reading chicken bones and sprinkling fairy dust on her, he actually investigated her body and found the infection. By that time, it was too late to help her, though. I see. And the doctor agrees with your view that there is nothing more to the world than nature. Unfortunately, no. He still believes in other things. So, according to Dr. Schmetterling, sometimes things are just natural, but sometimes they can be supernatural. Captain Elsenbach got up and patted the breadcrumbs from his jerkin. According to him, yes. But I say he's still too willing to ascribe what he doesn't understand to some higher or deeper cause. Ludlov got up as well. They continued the conversation as they kept walking along the muddy path. And you say the cause is always just natural. That's right. Ludlov pondered that for a moment. Why do you believe that? Captain Elsenbach shrugged, as if his entire philosophy wasn't that important to him after all. It's clean. It makes the world... understandable. I see. So it's an explanation you imagine to put your fears to rest. For the first time since Frederick's disappearance, Captain Elsenbach smiled. <laughs> well, if the Black Woods are real, we will find out soon enough. Ludlow was glad to find that the trail remained clearly visible for another few miles. It also surprised him just how long the path kept snaking downward, turning their journey into a slow descent into some long-forgotten darkness. The trees themselves changed as well. Their trunks and branches became twisted, like sculptures of strange, writhing creatures clawing their way out of some abyss. The light of day was dampened and diffused by the thick foliage above. In the few shafts of sunlight that managed to penetrate the forest canopy were thousands of tiny dust motes swimming peacefully in and out of visibility. The afternoon was giving way to early evening when the Prince of the Beast suddenly turned away from the path and disappeared into the underbrush. What do we do now, witch hunter? The trail will be much more difficult to follow through the underbrush. It's not impossible, but it will be harder, and we will be moving much slower. We could always leave it and keep going down the path instead. Why? We're following the beast, don't you remember? Yes. Ludlow was lost in thoughts. This path was unusual. If no one ever ventured into these woods, where had the path come from? Who had made it? And to what end? I think this path is leading us somewhere significant. Significant enough to distract us from finding my grandson. Ludlow scratched his chin, still thinking. Well, obviously the whole point is to find Frederick. But we know he was taken by a small creature, not the large beast. Witch Hunter, why have we been following the Beast Prince if not because they might lead to the same lair where the smaller ones live? Ludlow looked the captain in the eye. That's just it, Captain. They might live in the same lair, or they might not. It's not a given. So far, I've had the impression that they operate quite separately from each other. They're both monsters, they're both wanted Frederick, they're obviously working together. Captain Elsenbach was clearly losing his patience now. 
While he had been speaking, Ludlov could swear the very air around them was becoming darker. Well, according to your philosophy, they're just animals, Captain. Animals of different species don't normally collaborate in the hunt. In fact, it is extremely strange for a beast to travel outside of its normal hunting grounds, let alone to attack a very specific target. And unless Heidi sent us on a wild goose chase, the creature took your grandson alive. Which is another thing a wild animal just wouldn't do. Then they must have been trained beasts, sent by a person. A person living in these woods, then? Exactly, witch hunter. Ludlove took another look at the path winding downward in front of them. Well then, Captain, the only reason why there would be a path in these woods is because people made it. If you believe that there is a person behind your son's kidnapping, a person living deep in the woods, we will need to follow the path, as only that will lead us to people. The beast's prince can only lead us to some hole or cave where it nests. Captain Elsenbach was silent for a bit. Then he heaved a frustrated sigh. Oh, I thought the superstitious ones were annoying, but you're rational and it's even worse. Then he peered into Ludlov's eyes very sternly. The fate of my grandson is in your hands, witch hunter. I will follow you, but don't let it be a mistake. Like when I entrusted my men to your command. Ludlov tried to ignore that last remark, but it stung bitterly. Thank you for your trust, Captain. The Black Woods As soon as they continued down the path, a sense of foreboding came over Ludlove. He had always had a peculiar sensibility to things unseen, but being a witch hunter had sharpened his senses to the point that he knew there were unfriendly eyes watching them. He kept his unease to himself and maintained the frontal position on the narrow pathway. In the inhabited world, the sun was setting, Ludlove mused, but here it only registered as a rapidly encroaching darkness. It was time to make torches. Captain Alsenbach turned out to be quite good at it, he quickly found two suitable branches, and he had taken along some cloth, lamp oil, and a tinderbox. In the space of half an hour, Ludlove and the captain were both equipped. By that time, the darkness around them had completely taken over, and both of their stomachs were growling once more. Wordlessly, they continued. The fierce flames of the torches threw a bright orange light on the trees around them casting eerie shadows that moved in strange ways as they marched on. And then, without warning, without a signpost on the way, they suddenly both realized they were in the Black Woods. Every branch was twisted like a reaching claw. Every bark was gnarled and infested with strange mushrooms and a thin coat of unidentifiable slime. There were no more leaves, only hanging tendrils of moss, but the path kept continuing on. Do you still think someone lives here, Witch Hunter? The captain's voice sounded unusually timid, 
but its sound was reassuring in this strange, oppressive darkness. Some twisted mind, no doubt. You must have met many of those in your line of work. Certainly. Dark magicians, cult members, more than I can count. But you don't believe in those, do you, Captain? Oh, I do. I always have. Ludlov gave him a surprised look. How do you reconcile that with your naturalism? Well, why wouldn't magic be an aspect of nature? I've heard such things before. Ludlov smiled. Where did you hear all of these things? Well, all right. I've read a book once, Witch Hunter. Reason as a Torch, it was called. Feuerstrom? You have read the works of Dr. Andreas Feuerstrom? The captain turned to Ludlov, a hurt look in his eye. You find it difficult to believe that an ordinary man such as myself could possess such knowledge, don't you, Witch Hunter? Ludlov shrugged. Not particularly. Wilhelm the White was an ordinary man. Even the Great Wolfen came from a comparatively simple world. I merely find it surprising that the works of an unpopular academic as obscure as Andreas Feuerstorm could find their way into your hands. It was given to me once when I was serving abroad. I didn't look at it for years, but after my wife died, I started reading it. The man may be a heretic, but I think he makes a lot of sense. He's an apostate, actually. Heretics merely spread false teachings. Feuerstorm, on the other hand, has abandoned the faith altogether. Why do you think he makes sense, Captain? Well, Fjestrom wrote, Naturalism's unified view of the world is preferable to the splintered myriad schools of mysticism. When I first read that, I had no idea what he was talking about. But I remembered it by heart. It made an impact somehow. Twigs were snapping in the distance. Nightly creatures were on the prowl. There was no telling what kind of beasts were now roaming in these woods. Now, if I'm not mistaken, he means that it's better to have one idea that explains everything than a thousand different ones that contradict each other. The man was undoubtedly intelligent, Ludlow thought. And so you believe that naturalism provides this idea? Well, doesn't it, Witch Hunter? Do you want my opinion? Captain Elsenbach held still for a moment, meeting Ludlow face to face. I've only ever read one book of this sort. I'd like to hear the voice of a man who has read many. Ludlow had to note that this was the first time the captain had given him any sort of credit. The topic was apparently also important enough that he was willing to pause the search for Frederick for a moment. You say magic is a part of nature, so as to incorporate everything into nature as that would support naturalism. But what is nature? Nature is everything. If you define nature that way, then what meaning does the word still have? You could simply use the word everything instead of the word nature, and then naturalism only boils down to the belief that everything in the world is a part of everything, which is pointless verbiage. Leaving that aside for a moment, the point is that there is nothing more than this world, and what we can feel and touch in it. Ludlov raised a finger. Now there, Captain, you have pointed out what Feuerstrom is really all about. 
And what do you have to say to it, Witch Hunter? I saw my wife die. I saw the light disappearing from her eyes, and I saw in that moment, whatever it had been that made her who she was, was simply gone. And I was looking at an empty shell. Lidla frowned. I'm surprised, Captain. I thought you were a naturalist. In that moment, you saw that there had been something more, which was now gone. I suppose that is true, but where did it go, Witch Hunter? I mean... He fell silent. And for a moment, only the sound of their torches and the strange noises from deeper in the woods were heard. I lost my wife as well, you know. It broke me. It reshaped me. Molded me into what I am now. I have seen that there is more to this world than what we can see and touch, Captain. I have seen it many times, and it is not all beautiful. There is darkness. There is evil. Spiritual evil. It exists. And I live to combat it. Captain Elzenbach swallowed, and for the first time, Ludlow saw fear in his eyes. But on the other hand, Witch Hunter, if you are right, and there is spiritual evil in this world, then you know the goddess is real, and there must be good as well. Ludlove took a deep breath. Yes, Captain. That is how I operate. Fair enough, then. Let's go on now. We have no time to waste. And with that, Captain Elzenbach turned and marched on into the black night. They had walked along the path in silence for a few minutes, when the captain suddenly held still again. Do you hear that, witch hunter? Ludlove listened closely. Between the creaking of the tree trunks and the eerie cries of creatures deep in the woods, there was another sound. It was soft, but close by. Leaves rustled, twigs cracked, and tiny little voices could not suppress their glee. The hair in the back of Ludlov's neck stood up, and a chill came over him that had nothing to do with the temperature in these woods. We are in the presence of evil, Captain. They came at once from both sides of the path, jumping out of the underbrush like grasshoppers. Four monstrous creatures, each about the size of a six-year-old child. Ludlov turned and instinctively elbowed one of them in the teeth. The creature's foaming saliva stuck to his arm as it fell. Another one of the little monsters grasped his leg and started biting. Its teeth were like razors, quickly cutting through the fabric of his trousers and penetrating his skin. Ludlov could think of nothing better to do than hitting the monster with his burning torch. Its coarse fur immediately caught fire. But while it was screaming in agony, the abomination drove its teeth even further into his leg. Meanwhile, the first monster had crawled upright again, and it was now jumping onto Ludlov's back, pulling at his hair and forcing him to drop his torch and fall to one knee. 
Amidst the pain, anger, and confusion, Ludlow felt shame. How could he be brought down so easily by these little creatures, he who had faced much worse opponents? He had no time to think, only to suffer, as the monster on his back knocked off his witch hunter hat and crawled its way to his neck, clawing and biting as it went. Meanwhile, the fire in the fur of the creature stuck in his leg died, but the monster remained immovable, growling uncontrollably. Ludlov heard the sound of a rapier being drawn and the swift slash behind him, followed immediately by the cries of the monster as it perished. Then he saw Captain Alzenbach appearing from behind him, a torch in one hand and a rapier in the other. Fearlessly, the man slashed his blade into the neck of the creature biting Ludlov's leg. The thing let go of his leg, turned to the captain and was immediately beheaded. Ludlow tried to rise again, but a searing pain cut through his leg and caused him to remain kneeling. Then he saw the corpses of the other two creatures. In only a few moments, Elsenbach had killed all four of them. Very impressive, Captain. I'm a soldier witch hunter. This is what I do. Then without any warning, a fifth creature fell down from the forest canopy above them landing on the captain's shoulders. It bit the man's cheek, drawing blood glistening brightly in the torchlight. The captain struck at the creature with his torch, crying out in pain as the gruesome thing escaped the fire, jumped off his shoulder and landed on the muddy ground in front of Ludlow. In sheer panic, Ludlow stood up, drawing his dagger from his belt. He swung it wildly at the creature. It grinned maliciously, its razory fangs dripping with a mixture of foaming saliva and the captain's blood. Ludlow thrust his dagger at the monster, causing it to twist and writhe before jumping straight at him. It was so fast he could barely respond. It clung to his chest, jaws snapping at him manically. Then it looked up curiously. A whirl of feathers descended, and the creature jumped away from Ludlov once more. Baffled, he saw Fulcrin sinking his talons into the creature's scalp and pecking at its eyes. In a matter of seconds, the falcon had gouged out the monster's eyes. It now lay rolling over the ground with blood streaming from its eye sockets yelping, clawing, and snapping at nothing. Ludlow sheathed his dagger and drew his rapier. Walking over calmly to the monster, he slit its throat, watching it gurgle blood and jitter uncontrollably until it finally died. Then he picked up his hat from the ground, patted it off, and put it on his head. Fulcrin fluttered his wings and landed on the witch hunter's shoulders. Thank you again, dear friend. Ludlow walked over to the captain, who lay down on the ground, panting, almost sobbing in agony, holding his cheek, with blood seeping between his fingers. His rapier and his still-burning torch lay beside him, throwing eerie shadows over him. Captain Alzenbach? The man did not respond. Pain burst through the witch hunter's leg as he knelt down next to his fallen comrade. 
Let me look at the wound. Elzenbach turned his face towards Ludlov, but it was too dark to make out anything. Ludlov reached for the captain's torch, picked it up and looked closely at the man's face. His hand still covered the wound, but he was clearly losing a lot of blood. That needed to be taken care of first. Ludlov reached for the empty burlap bag he had tucked underneath his belt. It was rudimentary, but it was not so roughly woven that it couldn't serve as bandages for now. With his dagger, he cut the fabric into ribbons, ready to apply it to the fallen captain's head. Captain, you will have to remove your hand now. The man nodded, fear in his eyes. His hand jittered, and his fingers remained frozen as he slowly moved it from his face. The torchlight threw a gruesomely harsh light on the wound. A large gash had opened up the side of the man's face, covering it in blood. He would keep these scars for the rest of his life, Lidlove knew. Do you have any alcohol on you, Captain? Elzenbach's response was a very slight shake of his head. All right. Ludlov led the torch down beside him once more. There was nothing to clean the wound with. All he could do for now was try and slow the bleeding with his simple burlap bandages. And so he did. He had to raise the captain's head, tilting it slightly as he wound the bandages around it. He was as thorough about it as he could manage. Can you walk? I don't know. I'll try. Ludlov took up the captain's fallen rapier and handed it to him. Hold on to this. His words invited the tiniest of smiles from the man as he grasped the weapon's handle with one hand. Ludlov also picked up the torch. They would be needing it. The captain's arm leaned on the witch hunter's shoulder as they gingerly stood up together. The forest was still full of strange sounds, but all seemed peaceful now. We cannot stay here. We need to find shelter. The captain nodded shakily. Then they hobbled on into the darkness, the witch hunter favoring one leg, the captain of the guard dizzy with pain, loss of blood, and a possible concussion. <clears throat> You fought extremely well, Captain. Ludlov hoped a compliment would brighten his companion's spirits. So did your bird. <laughs> yes. They were slow as they continued, but at least Ludlov knew they were on the right trail now. Fulcrin fluttered ahead, resting on a branch now and then, as he waited for the two men. The animal was leading the way to the creature that had taken Frederick. That much was certain. If there was anything keeping Elsenbach upright, it had to be that thought, for the man was otherwise a battered wreck. He could barely keep his head up. The path kept snaking downward, deeper into the twisted black woods, until suddenly Ludlov could see the stars shining brightly between the mass of branches ahead. It was not a moment too soon, for barely a minute later the torchlight died. <laughs> <laughs>
Bloodlov dropped the now useless piece of wood, kicking some dirt over it, before continuing on in almost total darkness. The tiny pinpoints of starlight were all they had to go on. After staggering on like this for another ten minutes or so, the path opened up into a wide open glade. Ludlow's gaze went up. The sudden view on the nightly firmament gave him a rush of hope. There was still a world beyond this goddess-forsaken forest. High above, an ocean of stars lay strewn across the dark sky, immovable, silent, and untouched. The moon was hidden, its ghostly light outlining the ragged shapes of the clouds in front of it. Looking down, Ludlow took in the landscape before them. There was a field of tall grass leading up to a long stone bridge over a wide moat, the still water reflecting the stars above. On the other side was what seemed at first to be a very tall and unnaturally steep hill, half hidden between tall trees. As they made their way through the grass, Ludlow realized that the shape in the distance was not a hill. It was a castle, but it was so overgrown with ivy, weeds and even entire bushes that it was almost entirely hidden. One thin spire emerged out of the growth, a round tower with a pointy roof. Look, Captain, an abandoned castle. This may be the lair of the creatures. The captain slowly raised his head and looked at Ludlow with weary eyes. We have to enter. Ludlow was worried. They were both wounded, with Elzenbach barely conscious. If those creatures were indeed nesting in that building, it would be the end of them. But they needed a place to rest, and Fulcrin was leading them there. The Falcon was gifted with supernatural intuition, and he had never failed Ludlow. Captain Elzenbach didn't know this, though. All he cared about was his grandson. Ludlow had to admire the man's courage. They crossed the bridge and came to a very tall cast-iron gate, dead ivy still clinging to it. Above the gate itself was an arching sign, bearing the name Edelhart. Ludlow was reminded of his first encounter with the mayor of Schnertwald. The portraits in his study had been the likenesses of the Count and Countess of Edelhart. They had apparently ruled these parts once. This had to be their abandoned abode. They stumbled on, nearing the castle's huge double entry door, which lay half hidden behind hanging trails of moss and ivy. Suddenly, Ludlow became aware of something moving in the corner of his eye. He turned his gaze towards the moat, but there was nothing to see. Then he noticed it again. It was not in the water. It was beyond the water. On the other side, where the twisted trees of the black wood surrounded the entire area, something had moved there, silently. Captain Elzenbach was in pain, and he could no longer conceal how bad it was. He was moaning softly in between his labored breathing. 
The poor man needed to rest. Fulcrin flew towards the castle door. It was flanked by great statues of prancing lions. The falcon landed casually on one of the lion's heads, patiently awaiting his wounded human companions. Instinctively, Ludlove had to turn his gaze towards the far shore of the moat again. Then, he saw it. It was a hundred yards away at least, but it was very clear now, if even for a moment. The great beast, the one that had killed Rudolph, was walking the shores, right in front of the trees. Even from this distance, its luminous green eyes could be seen as it surveyed the glade. Despite its horrible appearance, it moved sinuously elegantly even. Then it turned and disappeared into the woods again. Ludlove had no way of knowing for sure that the creature had not seen them, but he assumed it hadn't, or if it had, it had shown no interest in the two wounded men. Still, he could not shake the feeling of utter dread and unease at the mere knowledge of its presence. He decided not to say anything to the captain, but he hoped to be inside the castle as quickly as possible. As it turned out, the great door stood ajar. A slight push sufficed to open it, but as soon as he had done so, Ludlove closed the door behind him with his foot, still struggling to keep the captain upright. He wanted to shut out the evils of the wood in every small way he could. Inside, it was dark, but the sense of the air and the smell were quite familiar to the witch hunter who had spent many hours in ancient buildings. There was massive wooden furniture around here and thick moisture-ridden curtains and tapestries. It had to be a great stone room, a hall rather. The sound of Fulcrin's wings echoed through the darkness as he led them on. Fulcrin! Fulcrin? The bird had to be perched here somewhere, but he simply couldn't see him. Then the captain collapsed, unable to take another step. He almost pulled Ludlove down with him onto the floor. Gently, the witch hunter helped Elsenbach down, laying him to rest on the cold stone. It was far from comfortable, but at least it was away from the monsters in the forest. Ludlove knelt down, laying his ear on the captain's chest. His heartbeat was very fast, and his breathing was raspy and barely audible, but at least his heart was still beating, and his breath was still going. Captain. Captain. No response. It became very quiet. Sighing, Ludlove sat down on the floor beside his companion, unsure of what to do. Fulcrin landed on his shoulder. Fulcrin, why did you lead us inside the castle? It was silent again. To protect us, I suppose. Very smart. The bird did not respond to the compliment. I wish I had a treat for you, boy. As if offended, the falcon took off again, disappearing into the shadows. Then all of a sudden, 
Fatigue hit the witch-hunter like a hammer to the face, and even though he knew he ought to be looking for a light source and treatment for the captain, he could not help but take off his hat, lay down his head onto the cold, hard floor, and shut his eyes. <laughs>